Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to episode number 119 of my sexy music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. First of all, I'd like to welcome all you to episode number 119 of my sexy music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, or in Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is, I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 25-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash heard, and each week of this podcast, I take one song by one artist and split the show into two parts. First part, I start talking about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, then doing my own personal analysis on the range of the song, which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics, and the second part of the show dig deep into the history behind that track. In that part of the show, talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, what studio the song was recorded at, who are the musicians in the track, whether the band members or the musicians themselves. Um, with the song, the peak position of the song, we ended up originally in the Billboard Hot 100 charts when it first came out. Um, you know, the, the label the song was released on, what studio the song was recorded at, where that studio is located at, the history behind the artist that wrote the song, or the writers that wrote the song, the artist that recorded it, the producer that produced it, the musicians that played on it. All that is in the second part of the show. Now, before you on this week's episode of the podcast, I have some announcements for you guys. Um, I have a lot of things to say before I for this particular episode of this podcast. Um, but the first thing I wanted to mention is that I was looking at my calendar for the rest of this month of November, and I was noticing that next week is Thanksgiving. So um, usually what I do with this podcast is that I usually like to take the weeks of holidays off. Um, unless it's something like Memorial Day or F- 4th of July. I mean, I try not to put out episodes on holidays because I understand that people are going to be kind of preoccupied, you know, doing things on a specific holiday. So I try to avoid holidays. Um, so I don't think I'm going to put out an episode next week. So I think I'm going to take next week off. I know I took the week of my birthday off, but it's my birthday. So I need to take that week off. But um, the week... After I put post an interview episode, and this will be the last episode for the month of November, and then I'm going to take the next week off for Thanksgiving, and then after that, the first week of December, and I think I'll do the first three weeks of September, and then I'll just call it a year for this podcast, and then that'll be it for the rest of this year. Um, you know, and I hope that this year's Thanksgiving for you guys is okay. I mean, I know it's going to be weird, it's going to be different, it's going to be just a little nerve-wracking and just very, very strange and just almost kind of disheartening because of what's going on right now. But I hope you can find some kind of happiness within your Thanksgiving. But um, the other thing I want to announce to you guys, and this is something really, really cool because you guys are going to get the first, you're going to be, you guys are going to be the first to know about this. Um, I'm not going to post this on social media until after, probably after I put out this podcast episode. Um, but this is just, this is just a letting you guys know right now, I'm going to be putting out a single in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. On December 11th, I'm going to be releasing my first or- official release of 
one of my new original songs. I mean, I know it's weird me saying that because I did put out a full album of songs back in 2017, but that album got taken down. I won't go into the reason as to why it got taken down because I still don't know why. But anyways, um, I'm going to be putting out a new a, a single line of, of one of my original songs that I wrote about four years ago. It's been in the can for a while, but I felt like right now would be the best time for me to release it because I've gotten a lot of help as far as production and mixing and mastering for it. So um, the name of that song is Turquoise Apricot. And if, if, if and also the cool part about the song is that it's, it's the most authentic 60 psychedelic rock song you'll ever hear in your entire life. It evokes the feelings of strawberry alarm clock and the doors and Jefferson airplane, that whole vibe 1000%. It sounds really, really cool. Um, and that is going to come out on December 11th and, uh, the pre-save thing is not available yet. Uh, you know, I'll definitely let you, if you, and if you want to know when that pre-save link is available and you want to, uh, click on that pre-save link, or if you want to access it for whatever reason, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be putting on episode next week because next week's Thanksgiving. Um, but if you guys want to get that pre-save link, then just follow me on Instagram. Just, you know, my Instagram link is in the link to, in the, into the, in the description of this episode, of this podcast, just click on that, follow me and you'll get all the updates on, you know, when the pre-save link will be available, when it'll be posted in my Instagram bio and when you'll be able to click on and pre-save the single. I'm very excited to be releasing the song. Haven't released any music in a long time. And I'm, it's going to be a pretty big deal, and I'm very, very excited to put out the song. And there's going to be a cool little um, lyric video or music video. I still haven't quite. I'm still ironing out the details for that. It's going to be so good. Um, I can't wait for you guys to hear that song. It's going to be really, really cool. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one big announcement. And the next big announcement is that I'm I'm the the opportunity to, for me to host and create my own virtual exhibit on 60 music at the Grand Museum is still very much a real thing. It, it's still on the table, and I'm very, very close to getting it. Um, so I'll keep you guys updated as soon as I land that, because I think they're very excited to work with me, and that's so good to hear from me specifically. And that's going to be cool, because you're going to see what I do on this podcast, except you're going to see what it looks like. You're going to get visuals, and that's going to be really, really cool. You know, and it's going to focus on all the things I love talking about, my favorite sort of areas of 60 music history, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Nashville. It's going to be great. I can't wait for you guys to see that what that exhibit looks like because it's going to be freaking awesome. Yeah, so don't worry. I'll keep you updated on that. Um, again, you know, that's just that I'm, I'm just letting that out. I'm, I'm telling you guys right now when when my when my first official single is coming out. So um, if I get the if I get the pre-save link ready before uh, you know, you know, I'll probably, what I'll do is that I'll put the pre-save link in the description of this episode of this podcast. And, uh, if I get that, if I get that set up, you know, before the first week of December, I'll definitely put that in there. And, uh, this, the description of this week's episode of this podcast, I'll definitely put the pre-save link in there if I get that set up pretty soon. But yeah, so super excited for that. Um, you know, and I, and I also have some cool information for you guys, um, for my podcast, some really exclusive information that no one really knows about, but I'll get into that right now since this introduction is done. Moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Okay, so I have to fill you in. I have to fill you guys in on a couple of things. Um, even though I took a week off from my podcast uh, during the week of my birthday, I didn't actually take a week off. I mean, I did. I didn't put out an episode, but I was continually putting in the work. 
and as far as getting you guys good content, good information to you guys. And what I mean by that is that even though I took a week off from my podcast, I did talk to some heavy hitters from the 60s, one artist and one engineer from that time, and I got the stories behind the songs that they worked on. And uh, so what's going to happen in the future and probably even before this year is over is that I'm going to present to you guys exclusive information that I got from these guys that nobody else knows. Um, This is exclusive information that you can't find anywhere on the Internet. And it's very, very good information that kind of reveals the stories behind these songs and reveals kind of how things kind of happen. Because sometimes you don't always get that, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, this history is concerned. You get the who and the what and the where and the when, but you don't always get exactly how things happen, you know, and that's going to be really cool. And you're going to get some who and some where, at you know, too, because sometimes you don't always get the whole who and you don't always get the whole where. I mean, sometimes you don't always know where a song was recorded and sometimes you don't always know who are the musicians on the track. I mean, that's the truth. I mean... You know, sometimes when you look the stuff up, you can't find anything. That's basically what I've been I've ran up against for a long time. And it's really cool to finally get some really cool behind the scenes stories and information from the guys who are actually behind these records. And I'm very excited to present the information to you guys. And I'm actually going to do it this episode, this podcast, because the song I'm doing this week, you know, aside from the fact that I actually talked to the artist who recorded the song, um, it's one of my favorite favorite songs of all freaking time and it's from a genre of music that I don't think I've talked about it before in this podcast but before I get really get into the weeds and what makes a song so good musically and lyrically let's talk about genre music from the 60s that kind of gets overlooked a lot of the times but it was so there and let's just talk about it for a minute and the genre I'm talking about is easy listening okay so I mean for those of you out there, you know, if you don't know what easy listening music is, just think like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> you know, if you if you can if you can get your head into the mindset of Frank Sinatra, then you'll know what easy listening music is. I mean, it's kind of it's a very interesting subgenre of pop music where it's it's very, you know, a lot of pop from the 60s was really hard hitting, really dramatic, really just all over the place, just so much going on as far as you know the arrangements. Some of the musicians were so playing some of these busy riffs and just really cooking it in the studio. And easy listening, you know, was a genre of music where everything was so relaxed. I mean, yes, there was a lot of drama in easy listening music, but for the most part, you know, the groove wasn't the most important thing in a lot of these songs. And a lot of times it was really all about the lead vocal and the strings and mostly the arrangement because a lot of these easy listening songs uh you know they're they're very they they had really you know good arrangements but you know the, the thing is is that you know they were always they they had very complex chord changes because if you think about if you think about what easy listening is it's actually the perfect bridge between jazz and pop and that's so true you know it's not exactly jazz cuz it's too poppy sounding and it's not exactly pop because there's some complex chord changes in there you know that don't make it sound you know uh poppy enough you know cuz a lot of pop had basic bitch chord changes you know so it's the the middle ground between jazz and pop in the 60s was easy listening music and sometimes it was referred to as bossa nova music but yes a lot of key changes a lot of modal interchanges a lot of stuff going on with the chord progression and uh, that's that's kind of what um that's what easy listening music was 
And a lot of times it wasn't always, uh, you know, vocal music. A lot of times it was instrumental music, you know, with, uh, you know, with trumpets or saxophones. You know, it wasn't, it didn't, uh, the easy listening music from the 60s wasn't always uh, vocal music. Sometimes it was instrumental. But the thing, the one one thing to remember about easy listening music is the kind of, the, the target audience this music was for. Um, you know, the thing is, is that back in the 60s, um, you know, there, we talk, I've talked about this before. There's a generational gap. You know, you had the teenagers who are buying records by, for, you know, the 45s. You know, they're buying all these really cool, like, you know, Brill Building songs and just, you know, and the, and the, the dance dance records and all that. And just, you know, and the, and, the, and, the, and the R&B music, too. But, you know, what kind of mu- if you think about it, what kind of music did the adults listen to at that time? Because. You know, again, there was that generation gap. I mean, there was the stuff that the kids are buying, the teenagers and the and the younger adults. But then there was stuff that the older adults were listening to. And these were the parents of these kids. These were the World War II veterans and the people that served in World War II. What were they listening to if they didn't like any of this rock and roll stuff? Well, they were listening to a lot of this easy listening stuff. They were listening to Tony Bennett. They were listening to Barbra Streisand, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. This is what they were listening to. And the reason why they're listening to this music is because, you know, the people recording this music were close to their age, first of all. And second of all, you know, it was very sophisticated music. It wasn't, you know, again, super not busy arrangements, very, very uh, calm, peaceful, just not a whole lot going on. But really, um, you know, they also they catered to that audience of adults who did not like the busy dance records or the the teen pop stuff i mean they really were they had very sophisticated lyrics and almost intellectual lyrics so they were very much you know this was for adults this wasn't for the kids you know and the teenagers it's almost kind of like with me you know a lot of people my age i mean they're listening to this the stuff that you know the hip-hop and the rap and the edm and the metal and, you know, they're, 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 the parents are listening to classic rock or, you know, a lot of the 60s stuff, you know. So it's the same kind of thing, except back in the 60s, you know, the, you know, the, the teenagers are buying the Brill Building records and the, you know, British Invasion. And the adults were listening to Barbra Streisand, Tony Bennett, Sammy Davis Jr., Al Martino, Frank Sinatra, and Dean Martin. I mean, that's exactly what they were listening to, you know, back in the 60s. So this is one of those records that has that kind of a sound to it. But at the same time, it kind of bridges that gap between easy listening and soul because it is kind of a, is a very easy listening record. I mean, when you listen to this, there's no hard hitting groove at all. I mean, literally it has the most sweeping string sound you'll ever hear on the song, but the vocal performance on it is very, very soulful and it just sounds amazing. It's one of my favorite records. And it's one of the few I can listen to that's like this because you know, it's it has that sound of it being kind of like a, a, a 30s and 40s song. It has that kind of a sound to it, but it's very updated to the early 60s, and it sounds incredible. I love every single aspect of this record, and I talked to the artist that recorded the song and gave me the whole story behind the song. So you guys are gonna get the Sam Williams exclusive on this song. So you guys, you guys better be listening up when I when I do this week's episode of my podcast. But this song is absolutely incredible. I love every single inch of it. It sounds amazing. Okay, so the song came out in October 1963. It's by an artist named Lenny Welch. It's called Since I Fell For You. When you just give love And never get love 
You'd better let love depart I know it's so And yet I know I can't get wow. out of my heart I don't know what just happened, but all these chills just literally just drove up from the my feet up to my chest, into my head, into my arms. I mean, man, <laughs> just listening to that, it just gives me goosebumps. I mean, it's just one of those records that there's such a vibe to it. It just sounds so emotional and just drop dead gorgeous. I mean, wow. It is just so fucking sexy. Holy shit. All right, so we're going to talk about what makes this song so drop-dead amazing, both musically and lyrically. But first, let's get into the song's music. Okay, so it's going to... You're not going to really understand what this song... What's going on with this song musically because it's so complicated that... You know, it's just one of those things where it's like, like, for example, the very introduction in the song, there's at least seven or eight chords in there. I mean, you got like the the opening major seven, then you got like the the diminished chords in between the the, the minor second seven. I mean, it's just there's so much going on with the song musically. I mean, I mean, even just when the song starts out, even after the opening verse in the song and then you got like the the bass and the guitar and those really really soft drums come in i mean there's so much going on but the i mean like for example like in in, in the a sections you just hear the strings just do i mean they they play the the major seven chords and the minor seven chords and then they go into the diminished chords and then everything just kind of each chord kind of lends itself to each other it just falls into the it just falls into place so nicely and just so beautifully. And there, there's a couple of things to keep in mind about this song that are kind of interesting. One, uh, there, first of all, the, the lead instrument in the song is not the rhythm section. The rhythm section kind of just falls into the pocket, but they don't really do much here. They're just playing the chords of the song, and you can kind of hear the bass player just literally just going root, root. And then and there, it just there's, there's so much breathing going on with the rhythm section that the guitar player is just playing chord, chord, chord. It's one of those songs that there's just you know the there's they're not playing a hard hitting groove with a with the rhythm section. It's just everything about it. It's just the it breathes so much, you know. And that's what I'm saying. It, it's very much like a jazz song. A lot of jazz records in the 30s and 40s did that they did not um have a busy thing going on they just they you know the chords the guys just play the chords so softly and with the lightest touch you can possibly can and they just really just let things breathe and they just play like just those whole notes and then it's just like i mean they would often play like just two beats and then but the thing is is that the reason why this, the guys are doing uh, doing this on the song is that they're making room for the strings to just take over. I mean, the strings in the song carry the entire freaking thing. I mean, they really do. Because, I mean, those strings, I mean, they just, they they, they create the harmony, right? Because there's, like, they're literally playing the chords of the song, 
and they're just they're the 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 rhythm section is following the strings. They're front and center from second number one of the song to the final second of the song. I mean, they're they're there from the very beginning to the very end, and they just they just really take over in the song so much that if the strings weren't there, it would you know there they, the whole aspect of the song how how beautiful it is and how emotional it is it just wouldn't even be there because the strings are just so prominent i mean they literally carry the whole freaking song it's just unbelievable i mean the string arranger on this song it, they just they they did it you know i mean like the string chart is just so good I mean, these guys, you know, they just they get into the emotion of the song because they kind of they kind of they kind of weep a little bit when they're playing, you know, and they just I mean, the the song, it, it captures the, you know, the major and the minor sevens and it's got the middle interchanges, the four minor four thing going on the bridge. But another thing to keep in mind about the song is that it's again, it's one of those songs that embodies that very old traditional structure that was so common in the in the 30s and 40s with pop music and that was AABA and you can kind of hear that but such traditional AABA song in every sense of the word because what a lot of these song these old guys used to do like Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein and all these George Gershwin I mean Cole Porter what these guys used to do when they wrote these songs is that they would have the AABA song thing right and then a lot of times the hook would be at the end of the song sometimes it'd be at the beginning but what they would most of the time what they would do is that they would always have a, a an introductory verse and this is a lot this is back when a lot of times when you listen to a song it would immediately start with the lead vocal it would always start with that and you would always have an introductory verse and then you would get into the song section you know the main the main section of the song like the aba thing but you always heard that introductory verse happening it was such a standard thing for such a long time in most uh you know popular standards of the 30s and 40s that and you can hear it so well in this song it embodies that so much you know and that's why i love about it is that and again you know, a lot of times, a lot of these songs, with the way they're arranged and the way they're produced, is that sometimes, you know, it's, I, it's I'm not always a fan of it because sometimes they kind of, it's kind of corny and kind of schmaltzy, but the way he performs his song, the way Lenny Welch just lays his vocal on, and the way he just kisses the mic, the way he just fucking, just, you know, gives such a oozing emotion just that icy vocal i mean it just sounds so soulful and so sophisticated and just so great that it just i that's what i love about it i mean he just sings the hell out of this song i mean holy shit this guy steals the microphone they just the band gets into it and they just lay it down so freaking well i mean wow there's just it's such a sophisticated song i mean you know, and I love how in the in the end of the song, it kind of breaks down. But again, I mean, a lot of these songs had from these 30s and 40s songs had these kind of sophisticated arrangements. But I mean, it, it borders the adult contemporary easy listening thing totally. But what makes this a little bit different is that the vocal is way more sophisticated and less kind of white like Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra that kind of a thing. It's not quite like that. This is more, it's less show tuny and more soulful like Sam Cooke and Benny King. It's kind of a mix between those two specific genres, but it's just sounds incredible. 
And now that I've kind of talked about what makes a song so good musically, let's get into the song's lyrics. And by the way, uh, the song really does a good job of, you know, throwing in those modal interchanges and a lot of those major seven, minor seven chords, especially the end. My favorite, probably my favorite part of the song is the end where it just does that whole like, you know, breakdown thing. But one other thing before I get into the song's lyrics, one thing I wanted to mention is that one subtle thing that's going on with the song musically is that sometimes when the strings play the chords of the song, which they kind of play them and they play kind of the sub melody to kind of go along with those chords while they're just basically playing the chords of the song, uh, you hear kind of the band sort of change one slight note of the song slightly when the when the strings are kind of doing their own thing, kind of carrying the song, playing the chords of it. And that's a very subtle thing happening. You can hear it at the very end, too, because it almost kind of sounds like, you know, you know, they play like the F minor chord and then they kind of move one note in the F minor chord before they go that final B flat minor seven chord, which I believe is a B flat minor seven over five, which is actually B flat minor seven over E flat. But you can hear that so well in the song. It's just so subtle, but it's just that's the brilliance of the song. It's just how string led it is, and just how amazing this though those that chord progression is, and just how drop dead soulful those lead vocals are. Okay, so let's get into the song's lyrics. Okay, so you know, um, with a lot of breakup songs, sometimes you're thinking to yourself, "Why did I date this person?" Um, I, I what was I what was going through my head when I started going out with this person um you know why did I do it I mean it just it, it, I I did I I wasn't something I wasn't thinking right I, I I you know just you know I didn't think this one through and I got stabbed in the back by this person and now I'm eternally sad for it because I still kind of still kind of attracted to this person and you know I, my life is forever fucked up well if you've ever been in that situation that's what the song is about um because it ent entirely embodies that whole scenario front to freaking back and you know it's kind of depressing actually because a lot of the lyrics are so doomsday i mean I, I guess I'll never see the light. I'll, I get the blues most every night since I fell for you. Or they're so just not like they're not happy, cheerful lyrics. You know, it's just one of those things. Love can bring such misery and pain. I guess I'll never be the same. I mean, it's just this guy is forever fucked up by this girl that he dated that he wish he never did. You know, and it's just that's the sad part about this song is that. You know, he mentioned, he talks about that and he just, I'm sure you've been in that situation before. I mean, I'm sure you've probably, you've dated someone and you honestly regret ever, ever dating them at all, you know, because they fucked you up completely. I mean, that's kind of what the song's about. You know, it has, it, it totally talks about that. And look, I mean, even if you're not a baby boomer, you're a millennial, you'll definitely be able to relate to the song. And maybe if you're Gen X too, but seriously, it's just the the lyrics in the song are, you know, about something that could happen that happened f f almost 60 years ago and it could still happen right now. And it's just so relatable and it's so good. And I feel like it, it perfectly embodies that scenario. It's a classic 
breakup song about regret of even starting that relationship in the first place. I mean, you know, but it de- it de- again, it definitely has a sour taste in your mouth. It's not, it doesn't, things don't end happily with this song. And a lot of songs do that, and that's okay, because, you know, a sad ending isn't always the worst thing in the world. Sometimes it can be cool, you know? So, and I think it's one of those songs that definitely does that. So, um, so that's what makes a song so good musically. It's a sad song, but sometimes sad songs are some of the best songs ever written. And case in point with this one, and I feel like it's the lyrics are very relatable, because even if you're a millennial, I know you might have been through this scenario before if you're listening to this and you're just not a baby boomer so it's very relatable to people right now that's what makes it so good musically and lyrically let's get into the song's history okay so like i said before i have the exclusive story behind this song that is nowhere to be found on the internet um because i have something very very cool to tell you guys something you never ever heard before from anyone else except for me i don't think this is printed in any magazine anywhere on the internet so you're going to hear the exclusive story behind the song and because i talked to the guy who recorded this lenny welch i got the full story behind the song everything from the studio to you know all the information you could ever want about the song i got it from him and i'm going to tell you the story that he told me over the phone right now Okay, so, um, you know, as I've kind of mentioned before in earlier in this episode of this podcast, uh, this song is it's a, it's a 60s song, but it's actually a revival of a popular standard from the 40s because it has that 40s vibe to it. It doesn't sound very current to the 60s. It sounds very much like a 40s song. And that's totally 100% true because the song was a, a, a revival of a standard that was written by a guy named Buddy Johnson in the 40s. And his sister, Ella Johnson, was the one who sang the song with with his orchestra, Buddy Johnson and his orchestra. Now, before we get into the story behind the song, let's kind of hear what that version sounded like. Because, you know, some of you might wonder, okay, so how do we get from the original version of this? And what what, what did the original version even sound like? Well, let's take a listen to what the original version of Since I I Fell For You sounded like when it was first recorded by Buddy Johnson. Okay, so that was kind of different. I mean, wow. That was a big change from the the that version of the song and this version of the song. Because, um, wow, I mean, we basically went from a 40s big band song to more of a 60s, 50s, 60s kind of Johnny Mathis kind of a sophisticated new york style kind of a song with strings and everything so how do we get from that original version to this original version okay so let's finally get into the history behind the song now i want you to keep in mind i'm going to give you guys the exclusive story behind this song no one has has read about this online yet it's not anywhere online so 
Stay tuned, and I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. And you guys are going to be one of the first people to hear about the story behind the song online, straight from the guy who originally had the hit with it, Lenny Welch. Okay, so I had a phone conversation with Lenny uh, a couple weeks ago, the week of my birthday, when I took the week off my podcast. And uh, he told me that uh, he first heard Since I, Since I Fell For You when he was a, in a vocal group when he was growing up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And the vocal group was the Harp Tones. And the guy who sang lead on the original, on the cover, their cover, Since I Fell For You, was a guy named Willie Winfield. And basically, he kind of, what they did is that they, when he, when he recorded that song, is that they when they when they used to do it, they kind of modeled their arrangement of the song from the original version. Well, not the original version. The original version is my buddy Johnson. But uh, he said that he kind of modeled their, you know, their version of the song from the Harp Jones version of it with Willie Winfield singing lead. And he kind of told me some interesting things about Since I Fell For You because he said that it was originally a blues song, which doesn't really make any sense to me because blues is just one, four, five. But this, that's there's a lot more chords than just one, four, five in the song. But that's kind of besides the point. He said that it was a blues song and that he it was very, very popular in the African-American community. And if you sang it in any club, if you were black back in the 40s, you would get standing ovation. A lot of people would think you're really, really cool if you sang the song. I mean, people would just... People loved the song so much in the African-American community. Most people knew it in the 40s and 50s. But by the time he recorded it, the song kind of went from a departure from when from what he from what the, the song what the song originally was. Because it was originally a blues song. And basically what happened was that fast forward a couple years later in the 60s, uh, Lenny Welch had split off with that group that he was in when he was growing up in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and he became one basically became a solo artist. And he gets signed to Kane's Records, which is a label owned by Archie Blyer. And Archie Blyer was an independent record label owner who had uh, Andy Williams on his label, the Everly Brothers, and uh, Eddie Hodges. So he had all those artists at, at his label at one point. And uh, basically, Archie Blyer became the main guy at Caden's Records, and he, uh, one of his signings was Lenny Welch. Now, before the before they recorded "Since I Fell for You," uh, but uh, Archie Blyer told him this. He's like, "Hey, man, we're gonna go in the studio, record whatever you want, but if you're gonna record a song, p- please have some kind of personal connection with it. Be able to." relate to the song, be able to feel for the song. I don't just want you to sing a song, any song that you like. I want you to be able to feel the lyrics and actually be able to relate to them and actually kind of give a very emotional performance with these songs. So he remembered Since I Fell For You when he used to sing that song in that group that he was in. And he remembered hearing it when the Hartums did it with Willie Winfield singing lead. So he's like, okay, let's record this song. So he hands the song over to, to Archie Blyer. Archie Blyer goes out and buys the sheet music when they record the song. And he basically, Archie Blyer starts coming up with the arrangement for the song after he buys the sheet music for it. And then he charts out the strings. But he when, when Archie Blyer played the song 
to Lenny Welch, his arrangement for it before they recorded it, he had that had the introduction in it. And he had never Lenny Welch never heard the introduction before because that I you know until he heard until Archie Blyer came out and bought the original sheet music for the song. So he heard the introduction for the first time and he was like, Wow, this is totally different. I never heard the song of this before. The harp tones didn't do it this way. And by Johnson's version of recording wasn't like this at all. I mean, it was so sophisticated and just so uh not the way the song was originally, but essentially, you know, he really gave it his all when Archie Blair put the conductor hand down and started recording the song. And by the way, he told me where the song was recorded. It was done at RCA Victor Studios in New York. And basically, uh, they did it in 15 takes. Now, what they did is that they, they did it all live. So there was no overdubbing. So when you hear that song, that's the entire orchestra playing in the same room at the same time with no overdubs. So when they did that, you know, if one person made a mistake, they would have to start the whole song over again. So they did the whole thing live. And when they did those 15 takes, they decided, you know what? These 15 takes are okay, but let's just go with take one. And that's exactly what they did. Yes. The the, fir the first take was what it was the song that they that they assigned for the single release for the song. It was take one. And also, um, the other thing about the song is that when he when he performed it, he really gave it his all. But another reason why he did this specific song for uh Since I Fell for You is that he was a really heartbroken guy when he recorded the song. He lived the lyrics for this song. He was just go he was going through a breakup when he recorded the song. So he really put all of his emotional cards on the table when he recorded this. So he really, really was living the lyrics for the song when he recorded it. So he absolutely just gave it his all on the song. But surprisingly, another thing that he told me that was kind of interesting, he didn't think the song was going to be a hit. When after they recorded it, he was kind of skeptical about this. I'm like, okay, this is way too easy listening to, you know, not very like pop sounding. It's not heavy hitting. It's not a dance record. How is this going to make the charts? It's it's a very relaxed groove. There's no like real like mus musicianship going on except for the string players. I mean, they get, the the band's just doing the one chords. I mean, I mean, sorry, they're, they're just playing like the 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 basic beats of the song. There's no real sort of cook and rhythm section happening so he thought this wasn't going to be a hit essentially because he thought it was too easy listening too smooth for it to be a hit he thought this wasn't going to do well but then he also told me that the song actually broke out in california it started in san francisco and then it went down to la and then it sprayed everywhere else in the country and, you know, he also told me that, you know, it didn't, you know, this was recorded in the East Coast, right? Uh, he, he told me that records rarely broke out on the East Coast. Most of the time it was on the West Coast is when records broke out. And the other thing that he told me is that uh, as far as what kind of tape machine they were using at RCA Victor Studios when they recorded the song, it was actually on the 8-track. And I'm like, really? So they recorded this whole thing live and it was done on the 8-track tape machine. I was like, wow. Because I knew that Atlantic Records were the first studio to get an 8-track tape machine, but then Motown was the second American studio to get an 8-track tape machine. So RCA Studios had an 8-track tape machine in 1963? Wow. That's very interesting. I did not know that, and I don't even know if that's true, but I'm going to take his word for it because he was the guy that recorded the song. He was the artist in the session, so he really knew what he was talking about. So, yeah, so...
Um, you know, they, you know, it broke out in LA, uh, sorry, San Francisco, and then it spread out to LA and then by ever by everywhere else, it was a hit, you know, and that's basically the story behind this song. And, you know, it's, it's funny because he also told me like who he couldn't remember who, who exactly were the musicians on since I fell for you. He didn't really know, but then he kind of we did breaking up is hard to do by you know by Neil Sedaka in nineteen in the late very late sixties beginning of the seventies and he told me that Bernard Pretty played drums and uh one uh, uh what's her name uh the girl that was in the Sweet Inspirations uh she was one of the backup singers on the song uh Sissy Houston and a couple of her a couple of her friends wound up singing backup on his version of breaking up is hard to do in which Neil Sedaka heard that version of the song in the mid seventies when he was starting to come back and he decided to redo Breaking Up is Hard to Do and, and retain some of the Since I Fell for You chord changes and make that his new version of the song, which he came out with in the mid-70s. So he still told me Brian Purdy's playing drums and Sissy Houston and a couple of her friends are singing backup on that song. So that's really cool that he told me the story behind that song and you just heard the information for the first time uh no one else on the internet has heard this yet so it's really really cool that i got that story behind that song and that is kind of what that kind of wraps things up for this particular song he lived those lyrics it was recorded at rca studios in uh, in new york and it was done on a track tape machine it was done live the whole orchestra playing at the exact same time uh you know they basically did uh 15 takes but take one was a master so uh that's basically what what how the song was made and it was you know and you know and also he told me i was trying to ask him who the engineer was in the song and he's actually told me that archie blyer was probably the engineer for the song because he also told me that Archie Blyer had his own recording studio uh, somewhere, and he told me that he would he would when he would go up when they would go upstairs he would actually mix the song. So he would actually mix Archie Blyer not only produced the song but he mixed it and recorded it, and he also came up with the arrangement of the song, which was a total departure from you know the other versions of the song. He came up with that whole string arrangement and he did he completely turned the song upside down, and really made it different sounding, and that's kind of what the song was and he, Archie Blyer was the man who did that and he did produce, produce some other things too he actually kind of told me this cool story that he did a lot of recordings in Nashville too with Eddie Hodges and the Everly Brothers and he said the reason why I like working with Nashville is because it was very easy going atmosphere a lot of musicians were very friendly very nice and he said that a lot of times when he recorded songs in Nashville he wouldn't even write the chord charts for the songs he would call out the numbers of each chord in the song and, and they would basically play the chords just based off the numbers and, and the key of the song was in and that was actually kind of cool I didn't even realize that so that's kind of a proof of the Nashville number system that was even happening back then so Anyways, that's the story behind the song. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And yeah. So that concludes episode number 119 of my 60 Music Podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams. And if you enjoyed this episode of this podcast, you thought it was cool, you never knew anything about the song. And you love the song. And it's the first time you're hearing it, you're millennial, like, holy shit, this song is fantastic. 
Well, you can email me at samltwillyicloud.com, or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net, which is old stuff, but a new song that's on the way December 11. That's when it's coming out. I'm very, very excited for that, and I'm really, really close to nailing that Grand Museum opportunity, so that's going to be really, really good. I can't wait for that. So that's going to be really cool. So please, uh, you know, I'll definitely keep you guys updated on a lot of this stuff because it's super cool. And I'm really, really excited for all this stuff that's going to that's going to come out soon. I mean, the Grey Museum opportunity, this new single coming out with. And it's just the first of three that are that will come out after uh, two, two more will come after this and the EPU come out. So that's what's going to happen. So I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear that. I'm very, very excited to get this new music out. And by the way, um, if you guys want to hear one of the songs on my upcoming EP, the full-length version of it, um, my school that I'm going to right now, they're called Jazz Hands for Autism. They're actually coming out with a concert film video that they're going to debut on YouTube. And if you guys want to hear one of my new songs, it's going to come out pretty damn soon. You can go check that out. I'll I'll keep, if you want to keep updated on what time I'm going on for that concert and everything, uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and I'll, and I'll, I'll post about it on my Instagram. So you guys will get all the updates for that over there and yeah so but uh, you heard it for me first on this podcast i'm going to be putting out a single december 11 so that's going to come out before i make the official announcement on instagram so that's going to be i'm 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 happy to give you guys this information because you guys have been supporting me for this podcast since episode one so i'm very very happy to share the information with you also by the way Check out the official Spotify and YouTube playlist with this podcast. You'll be able to find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, including some of the ones I mentioned in interview episodes. If you liked all the songs that I've, uh, I've, you know, if you liked all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, and you want to suggest me new ones that I haven't talked about yet, then go listen to those playlists. Email me, DM me on Instagram, and let me know what kind of songs I should cover next on my podcast that I haven't yet. Um, my Red Bubble merch store page for this podcast is really cool. Includes my own, you know, specific merch for my podcast. Um, it's the catchphrase I say at the end of every podcast and keep on checking tight. I found the name of podcast at the bottom. So we'll love if you guys can check that out. Um, you can email me at samltwayicloud.com. Let me know what you think of the merch, uh, prices, and the logo itself. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and all that. We'll love you guys to know. I love you. I love. I love if you guys to let me know what you think of the merch and the price of each item. Tour, and if you guys want to support me, I really appreciate it if you guys can do that too. So that's going to be really cool. So if you can, you can, you can basically, uh, you know, you can, you can, you can uh, buy something from the store if you want. And if you do, please let me know by email me at samltwilliamicloud.com. So that's going to be so cool. So anyway, so I'm Sam Williams, and by the way, no episode next week. Uh, next week's Thanksgiving, so I'm taking that week off. So. I'll return the first week of December, do three more weeks, and then I'll take the week off for Christmas, New Year's, and then I'll be done for the rest of the year. So anyway, so I'm Sam Williams, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please keep things grooving.